0: to the Black and Raw podcast. I'm your host, Tino Kadar, Tondo and uh, I ain't gonna repeat that. Here's a podcast that is creating a dialogue and a space for black men to be their most authentic selves. Now, my guest today is Nuda BC. Nuda BC is a CEO of Word on the Curb. And Word on the Curb is a research and consultancy company that works with brands to reach out to their target audiences. Um, and Word on the Curb really utilizes the strengths and the diversity of millennials and Gen Zers and gets their creative skills out and supports them in sort of reaching out to the audiences. And so Nuda BC comes onto the podcast to talk about uh, Word on the Curb. He talks about his um, entrepreneurial journey. Um, he has some opinions on sort of, can people ever have a work-life balance? Um, so it's really interesting to hear his views on that too. And just about being your own boss, like the realities of it, and are you ever really your own boss? Um, and so we talk about some really good things in this episode, and I really hope you get some value out of it um you can uh, follow me on uh instagram and twitter tell me what you think of the episode um but also uh if you want to find out more about word on the curb you can go into the show notes or you can go onto my website and you can find out more about it um let me actually give you a little insight into what you got to look forward to in this episode, so um, if we just bear with me for just a few seconds, or just do a little, just like I don't know what that weird noise was. <laughs> I was trying to do something and it didn't work. But either way, um, let me give y'all a little snippet into what you got look got to look forward to in this episode. So uh, yeah, that's a bias
1: because yeah. I I. I I can, va- I can vouch for people like that because that's me, and we all always look to hire in our own image, whatever that is, whether it's from the way that you specifically look, the color of your skin, where you're from, or whatever, like the, your upbringing. It's always that. So, so for me, I think the only way is to make sure every step of the way, every every day, you're challenging yourself. <laughs> and you you admit and you own up to bias people don't do that people always oh no like uh, i don't i don't see color or uh you know i've got gay friends that do you know what i mean that, <laughs> yeah wired that one that that doesn't mean that you don't okay. yeah yeah no exactly um so yeah I, I mean there's one thing that a mentor a while back or a family friend told me which has always stuck with me is, um, learn how to lose someone else's money before you lose your own. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the idea that you can learn from these big institutions, uh, and learn invaluable lessons before you go out and learn them on your own, uh, your own accord, because sometimes those invaluable lessons you learn can be very detrimental, but not very detrimental to a massive organization. So, um, yeah, I, I, I always, am quite a, advocate for people to find ways of learning um, outside of their own frameworks. Yeah. One thing I would suggest to people, because a lot of the time people do ask me, like, oh, how, you know, how should I take a leap of faith Or Like, when do I know is the right time? There is no right time. There literally is no right time. But what you've got to be so sure about which I think everyone will be is if I leave my job or if I do this full time if I need to go back and get a full time job you probably will get one based on the skill set that you learn which you'll never learn fully from like being so focused in one department area
0: so uh I hope you like what you heard there guys um I hope you're looking forward to this conversation um When you get to the end of this conversation, please share it with anyone you think uh, can get some really good value out of it. Um, Thank you, Nudu, for coming onto the podcast and for talking to me. And uh, yeah, I don't think I have any much more to say to you guys. So all I ask is that you um, listen to this conversation with an open mind. you know, takes the lessons from this episode because there's so many good ones. And if anyone ever wants to be an entrepreneur or wants to go into business, or even if you are a business leader, I think there's so many good things in this episode that you can take and um, put into your company. So please uh, absorb the lessons from here and um, yeah, do with it as you wish. But if you act on it, I'm sure it will make your business better and your company and your people so um yeah don't really have anything else to add on to that other than um here is my conversation with (laughs) (laughs) um so undu um welcome to the black and royal podcast it's really good to have you on um yeah thank you for joining me today no it's a pleasure man thanks for having me um, so um, I would have gave you a little bit of an introduction But to be honest, the be the best person to sort of give a little introduction about themselves is you So um, yeah, if you could just give my audience just a little bit of flavour about you Yeah, um, I guess
1: uh, I have always find like, flavour about you challenging Because I mean, it's easier, people always refer to their job But I guess I'm more than that So uh, where would I go with this? As you can see, I don't like to rehearse stuff. So um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My name's Underbe, CEO chair for for full. Um, I guess a British Nigerian, quote unquote entrepreneur. Um, my journey is very random, I guess, to getting to where I am. Um, and I guess through like a series of random events, which I'm sure we'll get into within the podcast, has allowed me to become the co-founder of. Word on the curb, which is a um, communications and research consultancy. Um, we largely specialise in engaging with Gen Z, millennial, minority groups. So um, that's a bit about what I do professionally. Um, I'm married. I got married last year. I'm a I'm congratulations. A, thank you. Uh, I'm I'm one of four. Um, I'm the youngest of four. Uh, from a from a very traditionally Ebo household. So we I guess like multiculturalism has always been very much of the fore in uh, my life being born in Britain but very much like raised with very strong Igbo traditions and values um and yeah I guess that's me
0: yeah. All right. Yeah. To be fair, um, whenever I ask anyone, sort of give me just a flavor about you, it's a hard question. Even if someone yeah. asks me that, it's like, um, how do I say this because there's so many aspects to us as humans, isn't it? So, um, but you said it's a bit of a complicated, or maybe not complicated, but unorthodox process to get to where you were now. So mm. before you started Word on the Curb, like what were some of maybe those steps or sort of um the unconventional things that happened before you got to there?
1: So I guess um, probably starting from studying and what I studied at uni. So um, I, I guess preceding that, I, like I say, coming from a fairly traditional Ebo Nigerian household, my parents very much wanted to push me towards the medical route, um, I, you know, and um, yeah, I guess I entertained it for a little bit, tried to get into <laughs> med school. Yeah. Uh, didn't get, didn't get in. Did biomedical material science as a degree instead, um, with the idea to do medicine post grad. Which after first year of uni and partying way too much and not very, getting any very good grades was just not going to happen. So um, right on my, in my third year of uni, I started to apply for any other any grad job around UK really, um, and landed a job at uh, L'Oreal as an account manager. Um, in their management trainee scheme. So I was there for three and a half years. Um, and I guess I'd already started the inner workings of Word on the Curb with my business partner and good, very good friend, Heil. Um, and so we were kind of doing that alongside me working at L'Oreal. Um, and then three and a half years into, into the L'Oreal, I decided to take a sabbatical um, and do Word on the Curve full time. And I haven't gone back since. So um, for the last five years, we've been, um, yeah, growing the business to a a team of now 11. Um, So, yeah, in terms of randomness, when people look at my CV, they see a biomedical material science uh, graduate who studied at Manchester and then worked in the beauty industry and then runs his own business now. So it's, it's very random.
0: Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I think when I was looking at your LinkedIn, I saw that you worked at L'Oreal and, and I was thinking, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he's gone to sort of do Word on the Curb, which is sort of quite, I'm sure there's some overlaps which you'll probably get into, but like quite different just on the face of it, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people will listen to you um talking about sort of entertaining your parents and going for biomedical science and probably relate with that a lot because there's there's probably a few a few people out there which have been like, Yeah, I sort of did this because my parents wanted me to and stuff. Like, I guess for you, did you did you sort of always know that you didn't really want to do that? Like, um, or is this, all maybe just out of respect for your parents, in terms of like, oh, they 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 know what's best and things like that. Maybe I should do that. And,
1: um, I guess respect is definitely yeah, is definitely there. Um, they they kind of talked me into it for sure. Like, I was very good at bar. I guess. Um, and so that was their kind of in to say, oh, look, you're good at biology. so <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. medicine, you know? uh, It's one, one of the three subjects you need. Um, but I, I, I definitely think that there was a period of time where I did, you know, think it was a good idea. It's a safe job. It's quote unquote paid well, though. That's, you know, very questionable um, given how much you have to study um and it's secure i guess um but deep down i was always fairly business entrepreneurial minded like i was that that guy at school that sold multi pack cans by the single ah, the seeds yeah, you know,
0: yeah, the yeah, feet, yeah. You
1: know, i was that guy that literally ran his own tuck shop um i used to give loans to my sister and charge interest when i was like in primary school <laughs>
0: um
1: <laughs> like so definitely, I think like I always had that in mind. But one thing my mum always said to me was, you know, business you can learn bit because I wanted to do like economics and business at that point yeah, in school. Yeah. So it's like you can always learn that yourself. You can't learn biology yourself, which give or take is fairly true. But um, I think combining um, respect with also understanding elements of what was being said and also being spoken around I kind of like continued to pursue it but when I had a bit of freedom in uni after first year like I said that just just went out of the window
0: yeah 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 first year's a madness as well isn't it you just sort of like you don't really you just everyone's got not everyone but like there's that mentality that spreads of oh you only need to get 40 percent so you just sort of just lay off and just chill a bit and you know do do whatever. Plus for mm. some people, it's their first taste of freedom, isn't it? First taste of leaving the house and stuff like that. So um yeah, yeah it, it's interesting. Um I think it's sort of what you said in terms of that maybe there was that element of respect and safety. I think sort of from our parents' generation sort of coming here to a new country and having that stability and safety for them was so important, like, to be able to raise us and stuff like that. So Mm. I understand where it comes from for them. But then, I don't know, I think we're quite a different generation in terms of that. You can go and do one degree and doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go and do that for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. Did you face that yourself? Um, I I think a little bit. Um, In terms of that, like... I think i always my parents were a bit more sort of um you can sort of maybe go and do things you're interested in um i think it took them a bit of a while to get into that like i ended up doing psychology and criminology um and at one point i wanted i i think also because i changed my ideas of what career i wanted to be throughout my younger years like at one point i wanted to be a dj when I wanted to like have a nightclub um, wanted to be a nurse and then a doctor and then a forensic psychologist and so I think they sort of thought this boy doesn't really know what he wants to do he changes his mind every now and then so let's just maybe let him pick and choose and I think because I was also the oldest as well I was quite responsible not responsible but quite sort of on the board of making sure I got things done and um was sort of choosing what I wanted to do um yeah so I think they just maybe sort of let me be like you will be all right we'll just let him go off um but I think it was I think it was more actually in terms of me doing my master's when COVID came my parents were sort of like what are you going to do next like let's talk about it let's figure it out like mm social work ended up being something which i think it was a combined sort of for them it was like oh you always have a job there's always a safety net um and and i I think i'm quite a like a caring person and it sort of fits with my nature anyway um so i think that's when it sort of worked maybe in the sense of we both sort of thought okay this could be good um, but it's a job which I, I'm looking forward to doing. Um, I don't know how long I will do it for because there's so many other things I'm interested in and want to tap into and immerse myself into as well. So I don't think I could just stick with one thing, yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, um, cool. so. So how was um so how was it, I guess, transitioning from uni to then um being an account manager um or working within the account managing program with L'Oreal? Mm. Um so I had a bit of time. So I graduated in
1: in uh, July, I believe, July 2013. Um and I didn't start working until February 2014. So I had about seven whatever, I can't do maths, yeah, seven uh, months pretty much of signing on, to be honest. Like, I, I was mid um, applying for stuff, I wasn't getting stuff. I think I got given the job actually, I remember, I'm pretty sure it was the day before my mum's birthday, so December the 9th. Okay. Um, so for the best part of, like, five months I was, like, pretty much jobless signing on and um doing like little things here and there. Um, but I had bought the camera, uh, myself and Haya had bought the camera um, that we kind of like first used to run around London filming content and putting them up on our YouTube channel. So we were also doing that on the side. And that I guess that like gave my parents a bit of fear, like what's this guy doing running around with a camera? <laughs> um, like, so that definitely gave him a bit of fear. It gave them a bit of fear. Um. But starting a job then, and it was very close to me, like 15 minutes away from my house, um, you know, a very prestigious and well-known brand, um, decent pay, their kind of like fears were allayed, even though it's a probably a job role, they don't even understand what I was doing. Yeah. Um, so, but then, yeah, personally, the transition L'Oreal is quite a young company, there's a lot of young people that work there, there's a loads of grads and interns, so it just kind of like felt like uni extended at times. All right, it's not too um, bad. <laughs> it's not too bad. Um but you you just learn so much, like you 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 learn so much in the world of work. Um things that are good things to learn and things that aren't good things to learn. That's that's kind of like how I how I perceive it, and you have to learn fast in an environment like that. Um, you know, what were, people
0: well, I was I gonna go, say, what were some of those things that you learned, would you say? To write how to write emails.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Like it. laughs> Do you know what? it's, it's funny because it's things that now I take for granted. Like um, you don't see it when you're in the moment, but when you're then managing and leading a team and you're starting to see things that you're like, wait, what? Like, why are you doing that? You start to realise that actually the learning that you get is so valuable. Really basic things: speaking to people, multitasking. Like, how do you take how you know you're on four you're on four projects? How do you execute them all in a timely manner? Uh, speaking to different stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, emails, calendar management. Prioritization, although that's like a really hard thing to learn in general and something I really struggle with now still. Um, The importance of networking in my specific role. um, And I guess like part of the reason why I was maybe quote unquote good at my job is just naturally like being able to create relationships with people and find like common ground and utilizing that to kind of in a way break the mold of work because. No, no one really wants to work, do they? Like everyone wants that. You know, everyone (laughs) wants, uh, in an ideal world, just have a jolly around. So, like, if you can break the walls of what work is, that will always help you uh, to to your benefit and also to 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 your stakeholders' benefit as well. So, I guess yeah, those are the kinds of things I've learned in terms of learn like things Mm -hmm. to avoid. um, (laughs) Funnily enough, like your strengths are your weaknesses, isn't it? So. you know, I do think sometimes you could see through some people who didn't necessarily care about all of the personal stuff and wanted to just get work done and crack on. Um, I also think back then, 2014 to 2017, there wasn't really much, any, if any, um, talk or care about diversity. So I was one of a very, very few Black people in the whole office of 700 Um, even though it was in London so um, it really did like open my eyes up to like wow okay this is the reality of a lot of jobs um, and and organisations like where all my friends from West London that I know live around the corner like why aren't they in it Um, and uh, so yeah like that was definitely something which really did give me an impetus to try and uh, integrate with what what we do, a where of a curve. Um, so yeah, a number of things.
0: Yeah, I about say those are quite um, good things to learn. Like things you wouldn't, like you said, you wouldn't think about, like writing emails or in, like working with different people and sort of servicing different audiences and um, you sort of talking to stakeholders. But I'm sure talking to stakeholders is different than managing your employees and working with people and building new relationships. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's things, it's things you sort of would never really thought about when you think of like, what would you learn from sort of what you've done and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so yeah, I I mean, there's one thing that a mentor a while back or family friend told me, which has always stuck with me is, um, learn how to lose someone else's money. Before you lose your own, like <laughs> you know, the, the idea that you can learn from these big institutions uh, and learn invaluable lessons before you go out and learn them on your own, uh, your own accord, because sometimes those invaluable lessons you learn can be very detrimental, but not very detrimental to a massive organization. So, um, yeah, I, I always am quite a advocate for people to find ways of learning. Um, outside of their own frameworks.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a very interesting quote. I think I might steal that, to be honest with you. Yeah, um Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, as you were saying, sort of learning, like learning from those mistakes that you make, don't feel as, like you're saying, detrimental when it's someone else's yeah. money that it's a big company. You can sort of do, you can make those mistakes before going out on your own. Um, mm. And so for you, like, so you sort of, came from uni, worked in L'Oreal and then sort of like, actually, I'm going to take us about a call and go and do Word on the Curb. Um, as you said, you were sort of doing it on the side of all of that. Mm. Um, so what made you, like, what made you sort of think, actually, let me stop what I'm doing now and take that leap of faith and do Word on the Curb and, like, just get fully immersed in it?
1: Um. So, I mean, I'd always...
0: I guess I had
1: felt um, like there was stuff that we could do to make money you know even in its early phases where that wasn't necessarily very clear Um, and we had been working with a number of different clients um, from starting the business in 2013 14 Um, and So we had kind of decided, all right, well, why don't we save up money? Um, And at the point that we go or we hit a certain level, we'll go full time. Um, And we'll be able to, I guess, like pay ourselves nothing. Yeah, but see whether it works for a year. Um, And that's basically what we did. We hit a certain value. Uh, and, um, decided to, to, to just give it, give it a shot. Um, and yeah, it wasn't easy. Like we were literally pretty much not paying ourselves any money. Um, but then the year came and I got offered a job again, uh, in a different, uh, different role. And whilst the money is like, was exponentially different the job role would have been, you know, fairly easy to do. I just said, I said, no, like, because I'd got that taste of what it was like to, I want to avoid the phrase like work for yourself, because I think no one ever really works for themselves. They, if anything, when you, when you work for yourself, quote unquote, you work for those more people than you would if you worked for in a business. Um, but I got a taste of what doing things on your own terms looked like. Um, and I got a taste of of what true impact could look like as well. And purpose, that is a bit of a business buzzword these days, but like at the time I remember feeling like quite unfulfilled every day that I finished work. Um Personally, you know, these are things that are all very personal and never anything that I would ever put on to someone else because everyone else's, you know, purpose and what they find interesting and, 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 uh, I guess relevant in life is very different. Mine personally, I just didn't feel fully fulfilled all the time. So there was always that in the back of my mind. Um, so I just decided to say, you know what? I'm, Not gonna go back, and and actually, one thing I would suggest to people because a lot of the time people do ask me like, "Oh, how you know, how should I take a leap of faith?" Or like, "When do I know is the right time?" There is no right time. There literally is no right time. But what you've got to be so sure about, which I think everyone will be, is. If I leave my job or if I do this full time if I need to go back and get a full-time job, you probably will get one based on the skill set that you learn which you'll never learn fully from like being so focused in one department area um you know as a founder you have to do h r you have to do finance you have to do accounting you have to do sales you have to do marketing you have to do it all and so. That is the reality. So whenever I'm, to be honest with you, if, if when, we're in, when we're hiring, not to say that I give a preference to anyone, but all I'm looking for in your CV is what have you actually really done? Like, what, what does that job role mean? Because we can all put a fancy job title, but what does that actually mean? What have you actually done? And I prefer people who've done stuff than people who've got quote unquote experience in a big firm that haven't really done stuff. So to me, that will always be the thing I know I can fall back on. You know, I feel confident enough to say in my CV for the last five years, I've built, uh, you know, an organization which is one of the most watched platforms, you know, on, on social media. And we also run research methodologies for clients like Spotify and Adidas, you know, like that to me is way more uh, impactful than me saying, you know, I've spent five years at X brand. Um, Unless you're actually doing stuff, you know, and I don't think I was necessarily doing stuff. I was just getting by and just working for the paycheck, really. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of like what made us go full time.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you were sort of saying that in terms of you and your you and your partner sort of like let's get this target let's get this goal and when we hear we take that leap um and i I liked that sort of you gave your you gave yourselves a goal in terms of like this is when we're going to do it so there's no sort of like if like ah if and when but what about now what about now and as you're saying there's no moment that is the perfect time um but that you gave yourself sort of like, we're going to hit this amount and then we're going to do it then. And sort of we have to then sort of do it like we can't, we could back out, but you've sort of already set this in your mind that you're going to do this at this point. Um, and I think, as you're saying, there's no perfect time to do it. But I think the way you've done it, and I think that also that probably worked well for you guys it's quite an interesting way for maybe other people in terms of like, okay, if I want to do something, if I want to take my side, my side business or my side hustle, maybe let me give myself a target. And when I reach that target, I've got to do it. I've got to take the leap. Cause then mm-hmm. I feel like it's less daunting that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. It, look, it's always going to be daunting. It will always be daunting. It still is daunting. There are days that I just like, fear tomorrow or question whether I'm doing the right thing is it doesn't go away for me personally but um I think it all links to your own individual purpose which only you can work out yourself no one else can work it out for you and once you're comfortable within that then things become a little bit easier
0: yeah definitely um and so how have you found um, how have you found running a business? Like, um, as you say, you sort of have to do everything um, and you've been doing it for five years now. So, and you've got a team of 11. So I imagine there's things which you you did at the start, which you don't have to do now. But I guess, how was that just process of running a business?
1: Uh, very hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I think a lot of people sugarcoat running businesses um how so uh because i think there's so much conversation about l- doing things of your own accord and what and not being account like not being accountable to someone else above you like when people think about oh like it must be so good being your own boss and it absolutely isn't like it just really is not you're the boss of however many people work for you and that means in a way you have to be their boss and you have to think about what someone else above you quote unquote is going to think about the way you move because the way you move is how you is the way you want your staff to move so there are literally you do not switch off like you can't you cannot switch off is it's impossible anyone who speaks and spouts in podcasts or social media any business owner that suggests that they They've got their work-life balance fully in order, and oh look at me, M- me and my great mental health is lying. Like it's imp- it's literally impossible to switch off if you ha- have a, a a startup or scale up. Yes, you get to the point where you start to relinquish ownership, and you I don't know get investment from this person or that person or this person or a- acquisition, and so then, technically speaking. You know, you not doing anything in the business is not as important, but mm. with ownership comes accountability. They go hand in hand. So you have to be accountable to every facet of your business. Um, And that, and that's why I say it is absolutely hard. And that's why I also say I don't think people are very honest with themselves. You know, that being said, uh, again, going back to like the whole element of purpose personally for me all of those challenges outweigh um, sorry my purpose outweighs all of those challenges yeah what what we do what we're doing what we're building what we're attempting to do what i'm what we want to build what we want to create what we want to leave behind the legacy it outweighs all of those things so that's the toss-up that's the way up like is what you're doing, you know, is what you're doing and the, the, the reason why you're doing it, does it outweigh the challenges you're going to face? Whether that's your own business or working somewhere else, you know, like a lot of people, even in like banking, for example, where, you know, I've got friends who literally work 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. Like, Ooh, who, that's growing. Who have, yeah, you have Thanks. to like, you have to literally sacrifice their human rights because contractually it's outside of what you should be working within your human rights. You yeah. have to literally sacrifice that and do it for a reason. And for people, some of my friends, they're doing it for a reason and their reasons very clear. So those challenges are always going to remain challenges, but the clarity of the reason why they're doing it is always going to be there for them to push through. And that is where you just have to find whatever that purpose and reasoning is for you, whatever it is. Um, And once you find that, then you'll start to realize these challenges are annoying. They're never going to go away. They're going to be really hard, but you can push through them for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, and that's what running a business is. That's literally what running a business is.
0: So, in terms of as you're saying, so you feel like people that because you because you do get those people don't you that will go up on podcasts or videos and say they've got the perfect work-life balance, um, and it's probably always a, it's probably always a journey. Like I've but I've I've listened to people in terms of I don't know if you've ever heard of the high performance podcast. Um, no. um really good podcast. It's um it's um one of the dudes, it's a sports presenter and a doctor of like psychology. Mm-hmm. Um and they have like loads of different high performers that come on, but they they talk about like other things other than like sports and stuff. It's like various topics and guests. Like they've had like Rio Ferdinand on, but then they've also had um like other psychologists on um and like David Moyes and other sports people. So Um, But I think I can't remember what episode it was where I listened to, but they were saying that sort of to achieve like greatness or achieve legacy or to do the things you want to do. Like sometimes you sort of sacrifice in some areas rather than others. Um, So I think they were saying, like, can you be a high performer in one thing and like will something else in your life suffer because of it? Um, Just like I think the example they gave in terms of like footballers, like. It, everyone loves the look of uh, being a footballer, but like you don't see the days of where they miss their children's birthdays or, you know, they can't like they're playing, like you're playing and you, you play and you train loads, don't you? Like if your kid's birthday is on a Sunday or a Saturday, you're not going, are you? And you sort of miss those life events for, depending when you have them for maybe yeah. quite a significant part of their life. Um, and I think sort of for business, maybe that's also what you, what you necessarily don't see is that. You may be working till 9, eight, ten, or and you've started your day at 6. Um, mm. But no one ever sees that part, do they? Do,
1: do, do you know what? Yeah, on top of that, it's not even... Let's say I... Um, let's say, like, I work 9 to 5. Mm-hmm. I, I work on the curb, all right? And then... And I wake wake up at seven and I go to the gym and I feel great and all of this kind of stuff. And I finish at five. And, uh, you know, like I go home and I cook dinner for me and my wife. Ultimately, my head is literally going to still be thinking, ah, oh, shit, I've not done this, that, this, that, this, that, this, that. Because... I am a fifty percent owner of the business, and my business partner is a fifty percent owner. So, it it it's the constant switching on of your brain, and not only that. What part of life am I balancing? There's so many facets of it. And to to, <laughs> to, to your to your point around like um around uh, struggles and like the balance and like one thing suffering even if I've got my life balance in order, work-life balance in order, probably the first thing I'm going to be thinking about is other people because I'm not spending time with those people. In the same way you just said, like when you were talking about the football analogy, your, your instant thing was, you know, oh, their kids, their birthdays, da-da-da-da. What about themselves? What about their mm. personal like, time? What about the time, time alone that they need? And they're not going to prioritize that because they feel guilty of the all the other time that they're spending on something which is away from the things that you should care about, namely family. And they'll dedicate, if they do get it right, they'll dedicate time to those people. But something always suffers. Like, and that's what people need to remember. Like, there'll always be something that suffers because we do not have infinite time. Like if you if you bracket and proportion the time you spent on different things per day. Uh, based on roughly, let's say, 16 hours when you take away your sleep, that's not enough time to do all the things you want to do. It's not enough time. If, if you're working for half of them, you've got eight hours left each day to, to what? Divide them between cooking, cleaning, go, uh, showering, brushing your teeth, moisturizing in some <laughs> circumstances. Yeah, it yeah. changed. But like it, you're constantly eating up time. So this the idea for me of work life balance is is a bit of a fad. I think the the the, the real thing is 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 work life compromise. I think everything is everything is a compromise. Something's always gonna lose. Like something's always gonna lose and something's always gonna win. In a binary sense, of course, there's like in the middle, middle ground. Um but yeah, on that on that topic, I think it's it's more around the compromise and understanding like where your true values are.
0: Yeah. People are gonna listen to this first part of the conversation and be like, man, these guys what? <laughs> sounds, doing a business sounds hard. I mean, it is hard, isn't it? No, well, like, is, I'm no, I'm, not...
1: <laughs> I'm never gonna sugarcoat anything. Like, I mean, I, I just I just personally think and one thing I've always said is there aren't enough like people who to speak in specifics. Like when I was learning, working early stages of word on the curb and you're starting to like, look at other people who, who talk so openly about this, that and the other, they always miss out loads of information. Like they will be like, Oh yeah. So we had this idea for a business and then um, we just thought, all right, cool. Let's, let's do it. And then we raised a million pounds. How? <laughs> like, how did you raise a million pounds? How from from what? From nothing? From your parents? From family? Did you have a prototype? Did you have a starting? They always miss important information and it makes things sound so easy. The same with the analogy about footballers, you know? Like, there's no understanding that age six, seven, these like local clubs are giving their parents uh lists of boots to buy. Because they have to buy they have to wear certain boots, age six, seven. Their parents have to drive them hundred miles to go t- to go to an away game. Like their parents have to suffer this. And if you don't have parents who can support you, what are you gonna do then? Like how do you how do you get to those games? What what do you what you do you do? So even beyond even before you've become professional, you're already sacrificing loads of things. What's yeah, your education definitely. like? What's your education like? Because you have gotta spend so much time training. Like so you're sacrificing your education as well so if things go wrong and you get injured age 15 in an academy what where do you fall back that's this is this is the reality of life and 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 people really do not in my head
0: um, share it be honest be honest about it yeah I, I, yeah I think I, I didn't even sort of think about sort of how young people start off like we all the, the greats that we all see like uh, have been doing it for years like Steph Curry has been shooting threes for like since a child like mm. he saw him when he was with his dad like mm. on the court like and everyone wants to be at that stage but there's never sort of the realisation that it takes a lot to get to there and like I think, mm. I think I think I think you eventually like if you do try and be consistent at it enough we do get there um, but it's it's a lot of hard work like like we said nothing comes easy does it no not at all not at all um, so do you think um, so in terms of I guess work life balance or in terms of that or work life compromise do you think there's ever like ever an equilibrium or ever a balance in terms of being able to marriage that like or is it only maybe when you sort of can get that passive income. You know what I mean? Everyone's always talking about passive income. Like you can just Mm -hmm. chill on the beach and you see the money rolling into your account. Like, Is that ever the only point that you get that balance or can you achieve it during the journey? I don't know. What what are are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it just depends on the individual. I don't want to cop out as an answer, but... (laughs) I guess but if you look at balance like a seesaw and work as one side of life is the other side, whatever life means, then, you know, like I said, if it's 16 hours, you should technically should be living eight or half, half and half. But again, once you start taking off essentials, we all have to brush our teeth, hopefully. We all have to shower. We all have to do things that actually eat away at those eight hours. It's never, it's never really balanced. In my head, the re- the real problem about work life balance is the work. It's not, it's never the life. It's yeah. the work. I think people work too hard. I think, well, not too hard, too long, too many hours because they're not because we're not efficient and we're not taught how to be efficient. So naturally we work for too many hours. And also, who 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 said that forty hours is the number of hours that we should work as well? Like, who said who said that? No Who's idea. with it? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So like, so why do we do it? <laughs> like, why why do we do it? And it, until until there's like a real challenge on that, no one's ever going to get balance because the the imbalance is the work bit. It's not the life bit. Everyone wants the life bit. It's yeah. the work bit that's the imbalance. So it will only change on, on uh, um, when people decide
0: to work less hours. Yeah. Really. Well, I'm, I mean, a lot of companies. I, I, I'm not a lot, but I know there's a trial that's happening here in the UK where they're trialling the four-day work week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'll be quite interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, but I, I don't know. Will history repeat itself, and then that? To four hour work week sort of becomes how it is now. I don't know. Would that mean we work work more? Like, I never know what's going to happen with it. It sounds great and it probably will be great because then you give, but then what happens with schools and stuff like that? So it would be mm. quite a culture shift mm-hmm. if that was to happen. And I think it'd be quite interesting. I, I, I think, and I think everyone,
1: people who are wary of four day work weeks need to just look at their own habits before you go on holiday look at how hard you work.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's week,
1: so true. In that week before you're going on holiday, look at how hard you work. And then when you come, and then, and not only that, look at what happens with the handover notes you make. You make handover notes, you tell people to do things. Look what happens when you come back. None of them are done. Like nothing's really ever as urgent within certain settings, of course, um, as, as it seems to be. Um, and ultimately it's about efficiency. It's about teaching efficiency. Once that happens, then people will work less hours, but we, we can only, we only need to look at our own habits to see that's re- that that that's the reality, you know, like you'll find most people will get the things that they need to do done in four days that they would in five. Um, but like you say, will probably after the novelty wears off, continue to become inefficient again, and then we're working ten hours each day rather than eight, and then we're working yeah. forty
0: hours again. Yeah, exactly. Defeat the object, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I I guess in terms of um, forward on the curb, then like in terms of maybe the stuff that we are talking about like how do you sort of see your company maybe um, challenging some of these things or are, like are there things you guys want to do that maybe is like how do we maybe help our employees mm. achieve more of that work-life balance or even just for you guys as um, management like how d- are these principles sort of showing up?
1: Yeah probably not as much as being completely honest not as much as we we should we I mean, there's members of our team currently right now who have been living abroad for the last two months and working, oh, nice. <laughs> uh, you know, like, so, you know, I personally don't, to some extent, I personally don't care where you're working uh, as long as I trust that you're going to get the work done to an extent. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think it is it, easy Um more efficient to get work done together than it is to get work done separately. That's just my own personal opinion. Um, but if you want to go away for a month and you don't want to take all of that month as holiday, I equally don't mind. As long as you have access to what you need between the hours of when we need it, when we need it. Um, so that's one way, I guess. Um, other things, we've got a £50 a month refund voucher for health and well-being. So you can go and use it on whatever you want. Whether you want to get a massage or you want to get your nails done, whatever, you have up to £50 to to spend and we'll reimburse that. Um, just to give people, a, like making sure they make it a priority. I think money will always stop you from doing stuff that you actually want. So as long as you, if you feel like you don't need to worry about the money, then you know that will help you, yeah, um and just honesty and openness like we're very like honest and open about everything, so we give very clear guidance and instruction around progression, um where we see people going, what growth of business means for individuals, all of those things are are quite important to us um and so yeah, just just kind of treating people how we feel like we would want to be treated, um, and hopefully having like and creating a feedback loop that allows for that to happen. That's that's basically um, yeah what we do. What we do. Yeah,
0: fair enough. I, I like um, in terms of the one you said about wellness and mm. giving like a fifty pound voucher because I know. Um, I remember seeing some uh, Telegraph articles sort of saying that apparently millennials are, instead of wanting higher pay, they want benefits, which include like gym membership and counseling sessions and like self-care sort of things. And I think in a world where we're seeing sort of a rise in mental health, but also you've got cost of living and all of the stresses of life and, you know, who knows, not Russia, sorry. Obviously, you've got Russia and Ukraine and apparently China might invade Taiwan at some point shit's going crazy. (laughs) The world's going crazy and people need that sort of thing just to take them away from that and even just to focus on their mental health and their families. So um, I think that's a really good initiative. And I Mm -hmm. guess if anyone that is listening that runs a business, maybe that's something Mm -hmm. that you can, you can sort of start to think about and how you put that into your mold. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So in terms of a word on the curb um you guys work on quite a few projects um and there's one which i definitely will want to talk about and i think we'll get into it and maybe it might even be the answer to this question um but i guess maybe what's been one of your uh, favorite but maybe most memorable projects that you guys have worked on or worked with Memorable,
1: memorable favorite projects uh favourite projects to be honest I think memorable uh, would be our knife-free counter campaign with the against the home office yeah so um, they rolled out a series of knife-free chicken boxes uh, when was it 2018 I believe it was Um, so yeah going all the way back then and uh, I think it was 2018 or 2019. I can't remember, but uh 2019. And um like there was like immediate outrage across social media about it, people saying it was like racially insensitive. Why would you put knife-free chicken boxes in in chicken shops? Like who are you trying to speak to? Uh, what's the what's the undertone of that campaign? Slight hit, um, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um so our community, literally, we had so many people messaging us, like, oh, can you guys do something about it? Can you guys do something about it? And at that point, we, we, we weren't even really, we, we had just, we had created content that was very different to what yeah. other people were creating, and I guess had like a social purpose and element to it. And that's probably why people were so keen on us speaking on the issue. So we decided, this was on Friday, we decided that what we're going to do is we're going to go to Stratford because everyone who wants to kind of whip our public attention goes to Stratford. (laughs) um, We're going to get a chicken suit. We're going to dress someone in a chicken suit. We're going to go reclaim some of these boxes and we're going to spend a few hours asking people what they would do with... 57,000 pounds, which was how much the government spent on creating the the boxes to, um, I guess ease the kind of like serious youth violence that was happening at that time in London. And within like three or so hours of spending time there, um, we'd amassed about a hundred, a hundred boxes filled. Yeah. uh, And we, we we took the boxes to um the home office the next day and basically before that we had like whipped up a massive re- media frenzy so we'd been covered by like bbc news uh channel 4 itv the guardian uh time magazine all of these publications had seen what we were doing and um followed us actually to the home office um when we walked there and um yeah and funnily enough we had to get a van to take our board to the home office because it was too too big to fit on the tube
0: you um, <laughs> can just imagine that just trying to yeah. go on the tube with it like oh my God, it's nice. <laughs>
1: um
0: and yeah like we
1: they didn't want to see us at first yeah. Um, but then I think when they found out that there was like a whole press team outside, they allowed out. us to go in. Um, yeah. And literally it was just like, yeah, give us your email address, is give us your name and we'll be in contact. And it's like, mm, is that it? Um, but the key thing that happened is they re- redacted the campaign. So, okay, they literally the next day, they won't say it was because of us, but they redacted the campaign and for me i think even though even though it's not like a project it's just something which i'm i constantly look at and say wow like we got the government to stop something because of what we did mm-hmm. um and because of the kind of like creative way that we did it um so yeah, like that is probably the thing that I'm most proud of, to be honest. Um I well like a amongst many other things, but I'd say it
0: was that. Yeah, I was about to say that was like that was the answer sort of, of the one which I thought um would be the most memorable and the one I did want to talk about because mm. I I didn't I, I, I think I live in I live in Coventry, so um i I wasn't aware of that, and i, I don't know whether i don't like it wasn't I think it was quite a london centric thing um mm. but' sort of listening to that and seeing it and then I saw it on your guys's website I was like man that's that's pretty cool and I think I liked the bosiness and the cheekiness of it to sort of use mm. their own chicken boxes and be like mm. this is what we would rather do, and some of the suggestions you just there th- you're just there thinking like. If if regular people who are living in these yeah that are living in London, that are living where maybe the knife crime is taking place can see actually there's a better there's there's better options of using that money, like there's better things you could do with that money mm. and this is what we should be doing. Mm. Um I really like that sort of witty form of rebellion. Um <laughs> and well, anything to stop anything to stop the home office from doing anything is um, <laughs> <laughs> always a good one yeah, um, what no, was some of the in the video there are some suggestions and I think I, I'm going to put the link to it in this um, I'd, I wish I could splice it into the episode I maybe can but I don't know if copyright or anything like that I don't know mm-hmm. how that works <laughs> on mm-hmm. some things but what were some of the suggestions that people um, were saying a lot of things
1: uh, you know bring back youth services and youth provisions um, uh like work in intervention in early stage, um just really keeping people busy, um, invest in local youth charities and youth organizations, invest more money in schools, a whole heap of stuff. Um yeah, I, I would um I would I would say that a lot of it was kind of segmented in just give us your attention really and, yeah. and, and show that you actually care about who we are on and, and the things that we, we want to do. Um, yeah, that's, that was the main thing.
0: Yeah. Cause I guess like from the home office, as you're saying, sort of just like give us your attention and like ask us actually what we think would be done because people don't need to be told about knife violence in chicken shops. They probably people who are, in those environments probably already know the sad stories and know the, the cousin or the brother or you know, the sister or like everyone knows the stories. You don't need mm. to sort of insult everybody with like, we're going to make chicken boxes and mm. they're going to tell a story and that's going to stop knife crime. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. what, is, yeah, what is that supposed to do? Like actually talk to the people who are being affected by it and that's where you're going to get the most sort of like the, the best change because they know what's happening, and then they're maybe seeing a youth center close down, and some vulnerable child used to always go there, and then now mm-hmm. they're the ones being stabbed or stabbing. Like, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. The, the, the guy, I don't want to get into a rant about the government. <laughs> <laughs> let's, avoid, let's, avoid that one. let's avoid that one. Um. But yeah, it's just, it's just one of them ones. Um, and I, I liked sort of the campaign that you guys did with that. Um, and you. have you, have you wanted to sort of, as you say, you weren't sort of, I oh know that you say, you said that your content was sort of more maybe purpose and I don't know if political is the word, but sort of challenging social issues. Mm. Um, is that something you've continued with, um, and is it, I don't know, yeah, is that something you've continued with or something that you've sort of purposely been like, this is what we should now focus on? Or, yeah, what sort of came about there?
1: We're um, we we we're a research consultancy at the heart. We care about speaking about the topics that people are speaking about. Um, and often they're kind of segmented into the similar, similar stuff, you know? Social issues don't change too much generationally. Um, And so that is definitely always at the heart of what we do. I wouldn't say politically, though. Um, I don't like politics. I think, uh, yeah, I've got a lot to say about that. I'm going to avoid it. But I I would say social topics, social issues, we care about. We care about speaking about and finding the nuance of what people think. Um how it came about, uh just being in uni. Um naturally we were having loads of conversations about different issues that affected us at uni. Mm. Um we found it interesting to speak about it. We found it interesting to debate and hear people's opinions, and we wanted to kind of like do that en masse and hear what other people had to say about different topics and different issues. So yeah, that's that's why we did it.
0: Yeah, um, okay that's that's quite good um and i like that and you're saying that you guys are sort of like a research and consultancy um mm. b- business so um i imagine that sort of working with brand, like working with different brands and companies and like helping them sort of i don't know target their marketing campaigns or target like initiatives that they want to do mm. um and i guess you sort of have to pick who you work with I don't know if you have to pick them quite carefully, I, I imagine you have to pick them quite carefully, um, mm. but I guess how do you sort of choose the companies you want to work with and do they have to align with your values or sort of how do you make sure that they do align with the values if they do?
1: Um, yeah, we say consultancy for reason, which is we want to shape change. Um, we care about all things diversity and inclusion. We care about people having a equal seat at the table, regardless of where they're from, on background, and what they look like. Um, so naturally, we can suss out bullshit amongst clients. <laughs> we can like pretty much see who's actually who actually cares and who doesn't. And if you don't, we won't want to work with you. Um, I think over the last few years, too many too many people have said things that they don't mean, um, just all for profit and lip service. And I think it's becoming evident who those individuals are. And, um, yeah, we don't, we don't want to work with that type of person. So,
0: yeah. 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 I think, I imagine also you probably would have seen a lot of companies that wanted to, um, sort of jump off the Black Lives Matters movement and probably were like, oh, let's, let's target. And you know what the thing was after that, like after George Floyd, like you saw loads of companies sort of do things which I, I like, I can't, I can't assess the genu genuinity or how genuine everyone was. Um, yeah. But like you just I saw you saw Nike, you saw Adidas, you saw name of sports brands here, but you saw so many things about, oh, we stand with Black Lives Matter and Mm. stuff like this. And I guess sometimes it might be hard just for the regular person to know who's genuine or not. But I guess when Mm. you're working with like when you're meeting with a company, you're sort of with that with the person and you can ask questions. You can be like, do you actually understand or want to understand the area who you target the people who you're targeting
1: yeah that's a really uh, interesting point because i i guess ultimately and i said this all the time like brands are run by people and people are people and they have their own opinions um and you can therefore kind of suss out who those people are, and and then how that marries up with what the brand says, but also what the brand has said before in the past. You know, like how much support have they given to X, Y, and Z initiative before it it became cool? Like, have they outed it? Have they prevented? Like, for example, women's football. Like, you know, there are people. There are people I know who. We're not allowed to play football in PE because they were girls like what's that what is that school saying now (laughs) like what like I want to know you know like how what like what does the school have to say now even if it was different leadership in my mind they need to speak on their historical exclusion and, and explain why it's different now, even if it is different leadership. I'm sorry, like, you're carrying the, the, the values of the same organization. You need to understand what the historical issues have been that have prevented people from potentially taking a certain path. Um, so you can even just look at, at the history of conversation around any topic to see how a, a, a company or a brand have have, have historically dealt with it. And I, and I and I actually don't believe necessarily in like council culture. I don't think someone doing something wrong in the past means that they should be held to that same uh, problem in the future or the present. But I do think you have to uh, approach the conversation. That's one thing I do think you have to do. You have to be honest to the conversation. And if you've said something in the past that doesn't necessarily marry up with your values in the present, address it. Address it. Speak about about it openly. Explain the steps that you've taken to change and why people really value that. So,
0: yeah, cancer culture is a interesting one, which is I think is sort of got into the zeitgeist quite. Um, Recently, in terms of like everyone sort of, you feel like everyone's getting cancelled. Like, yeah, <laughs> and and, <laughs> and there's I've, there's like one like one of my favorite directors, um, no James Gunn, like mm. he got cancelled for stuff that he said, and then it sort of didn't work on him because he got fired. Like he was supposed to do Guardians of the Galaxy three, and he got fired mm. from it, and then. Uh, he got a job for DC doing Suicide mm. Squad, and then he sort of came back again. And Marvel, like, actually, well, how are you back? But mm. I, for him, like, he seemed quite genuine to sort of be like, "Listen, that was then. Um, this is now. I'm an, I'm a yeah. different person now." And people, I think we, like you are saying, I think we have to give people the chance to be able to grow, and you can still be accountable and own up to your mistake. And there's probably growth from when they said that, and it's probably when they said it like 15 years ago when one, the culture was completely different, mm. and they were much younger, and you sort of you're a bit more older now, you're a bit more wiser, isn't it? So mm. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's exactly. used to be some
1: nuances with it. Yeah, yeah, precisely, precisely. Um,
0: yeah. so yeah, in, interesting one cancel culture. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um but in terms of um like for you guys as a company um I guess how are you we talked about you touched on actually sort of um being in L'Oreal and that there wasn't sort of the diversity that you maybe wanted and you like you said you said it's 15 minutes from where you lived so Mm. I imagine in your area you knew many black people or you knew many people within that 15 minute like radius Mm. Um, that maybe weren't being represented as such a big brand, so I guess for you guys, like how do you sort of tackle that representation in your staff but also in your senior uh positions as well uh,
1: within us within our staff specifically, um okay representation uh means different things to different people. Um, and I don't think that anyone can do everything or parts of it well enough um, and I, and I, we always say look, diversity is the reality and inclusion is the choice and the reality of people's lives is that they live in a certain way whether that's ethnic, ethnically, geographically neurodiversity you know, LGBTQ plus community, whatever. And so m- the problem that I have is when there is like a purposeful exclusion of specific individuals because of their makeup um, and, and not because of their actual ability to perform a task. And like there's there's a lot of um, nuance within how different elements of DNI play within that, you know. So I think there's like loads of statistics around Nigerian-sounding names being seventy percent less likely to get job interviews. Mm. You know, n- like that is crazy when it yeah. comes to it. When you think about it too much. Um, you know, and so for us, we try and remove any areas that we can potentially be biased. However, I'd be lying if I said that bias doesn't ever come into play in an interview. As I said to you at the top, it could be as nuanced as me thinking that someone who has done stuff and can show they've done stuff on a CV is better than someone who can't that's a bias because yeah. I, 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 can va- I can vouch for people like that because that's me. And we all always look to hire in our own image, whatever that is, whether it's from the way that you specifically look, the color of your skin, where you're from or whatever, like the, your upbringing. It's always that. So so for me, I think the only way is to make sure every step of the way, every every day you're challenging yourself. <laughs> and you you admit and you own up to bias people don't do that people always oh no like uh, i don't i don't see color or uh you know i've got gay friends that like, you know i mean like, <laughs> yeah we've all like, had that one that, that doesn't mean that you don't you're not biased everyone's biased everyone has bias and and the only way really of uh ever really addressing this diversity and inclusion and representation problem in the workforce is for everyone to admit it and um, admit it challenge it on a daily hourly basis you can do all of the unconscious bias training in the world you want but within a couple of days you're going to forget everything and the real bias is going to come out so you need to just be honest and open and say look I have my own biases whatever they are however they may uh, kind of like are formed, however they drive itself on a day-to-day basis, and therefore I'm going to make sure that I purposefully challenge myself each day. It's the only way it's going to change. Um, yeah, that's 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 what I would say. But I also think that uh, it's not just about hiring. I think there's loads of things that need to be done before that is even a conversation. Uh, we need to open up access for. Different types of jobs to different types of people, different classes, different ethnicities, different geographical locations. You know, it's only really recently, for example, we've only we've we've started to hear properly different accents on TV, you know, everything was so London-centric. People had to take elocution lessons to sound like Londoners and like the Queen and speak quintessential English. It's only until recently in advertising that you start to see and hear different ways of talking. Um and, and so even things like that have such a huge knock on effect to young people and what young people see as um like proximal to them, like what they can actually do in their lives. Um so it's something that also takes time even beyond the just oh yeah, we're gonna get, you know, Olo Tunde in because he's black and he can do DNI like.
0: You know, it's going to take a lot yeah. It's going to take a lot longer than that um, Yeah, a- adding on to Just like, I think something as simple As accents when you're saying in terms of People having to train to speak a different Language, not different language, sorry um, A different dialect of English Like, mm. I think there's been Like, there's been cases where like If you have a northern accent, it's viewed As, you know, like you're a Commoner or like you're a lower class But yeah. like it's just it's just a different dialect of English but there's always sort of that stigma even like you could just think of like people how people think of Liverpoolian accents you know um or Mancunian accents or or like and yeah it's that and that's just a small thing like never mind bigger things of sexuality race and class um and so I think yeah as you are saying there's sort of we're sort of starting to see more of that and i think there probably needs to be an active sort of like attempt in terms of like let's actually challenge our own biases because as you're saying we all have our own biases i have my own mm. biases um i can't think of them on the spot right now but i know they're there um mm. or maybe i just don't want to out myself <laughs> <One of them laughs> yeah, yeah. but mm. we all yeah we all have our own biases like um and depending on your experience in life you know if, if you if you've always been raised up in a middle class family or upper class family and you've never seen, you know, the other side sort of of what people struggle with, you're only ever going to think, you never are going to accept sort of someone else's version of life. And yeah. that could then go into your, how you hire people. You're like, mm, actually, this person went to Oxford or this person lived mm. in Cambridge or mm. this person's voice sounds really nice and posh, similar to mine. So that therefore they are better. Like it's not, You know, so yeah, I think people need to be brave. I need to be brave. We all need to be braver Mm, with accepting mm. our own biases. So yeah, it's quite an interesting one. Okay,
1: yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Um, so say for you, um, what are some of your future aspirations, um, like personally and professionally? Would you say?
1: Uh, I guess the first one links quite together so I I definitely want to be able to sort of in some way open up a branch of what we do in our office in another country preferably multiple countries um is a is a a, something that I yeah just really want to do um what else Uh, mm um I would also quite like to start my own school. That's like a big aspirational mine, which will take a lot of time. Yeah, how but, come? Um, what 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 sort of inspired that, or what you're thinking is? Because I think education is the root of everything, and I think our education system is shit. It's not like really bad, um, and. Uh, There are so many things that we're taught which we don't need and so many things that we need which we're not taught. And so I need to change it. (laughs) Because, I mean, it's been the same for countless number of years, even before I was born. And under governments that have proceeded and are now and will come forward, I don't think anyone's going to really change it to the levels that it needs to might have changed a little bit but I still think we are completely failing children um and yeah it's not it's not it's not good enough and so yeah I, I want to do something about it um that's one other th- aspiration um uh, what else yeah, there's one on other. Spot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's one other thing. Like, I always like to do things in threes, so that's why I'm I'm trying to find a third. Mm-hmm. Um I th- I think also I would like to personally uh make an album. Okay. Not many people know that. Yeah, that's that's a new one. How many people know that. Um a musical album, which um doesn't have to go out to the public preferably not anyway um but i would quite like to put my life my my soul into a body of work in a musical setting that's another aspiration and i'm saying um, that so that i so that i have to go and do it so is done that It's on the record. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To be honest with you, only my wife and like three of my
0: closest friends know that. So, um, yeah, there you go. Okay. And sort of then, uh, what would you say some of your professional ones are then for Word on the Curb? Like, say you've you've been doing Word on the Curb for five years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't know sort of where like you guys are. Like, I guess like sort of from going from uni to now, um, you guys have done quite a lot um so from now to 5 years time which is 2027 20, mm, Okay. Yeah. yeah what would you what would you say what would you say
1: um i would uh definitely definitely the abroad that for me is important and vital and i really want to do that um i basically we're on a mission to build the world's largest most inclusive and authentic research community so hopefully in five years we would have done that okay that's like uh, that's my yeah my main aspiration once we've done that then we can I I can feel like I've succeeded thank you
0: (laughs) interesting I, I guess I guess for you as well you probably will have a sort of a way in which what that looks like sort of for you guys as your company and how you move forward so mm. um, I very much look forward to sort of seeing what it looks like in 2027 20, 20, oh, um, no thank you um, and yeah so I, I've loved this whole conversation that we've had Um, thank you very much for joining me today um, I've just got a final question to ask you which I ask all my guests yeah. um, and so it's uh, say if there's a young black person, black boy, um, discovering their masculinity, discovering what it means to sort of be themselves and their authentic selves, um, how do you think this conversation or something that you sort of know personally um, can help them with that understanding?
1: Good question. Um, I I would say that the thing that I wish I just knew and did a lot more uh as a young black boy would be to not watch face, not like to not um you know, see things as as uncool or cool. Um and 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 in somewhat way be strong in your difference, like everyone is different every like there's no more no, like being quote unquote normal is the minority in my opinion like no one's really normal. it's just that normal is what sells and is what is being pushed wider society and media everyone's different, everyone's weird and I think that embracing that weirdness and understanding what makes you weird and different and indifferent and, and different, sorry, is your power. There isn't there isn't a rule book or a handbook about how to be as a black boy. And and I think um we we are at a massive disadvantage when it comes to how we're expected to carry ourselves because it comes both from the Black community and it comes from other people. there's an expectation of how a black boy should be, and that's bullshit from both sides of the coin. so I just hope that you know someone somewhere, a young black boy who may watch this or may not, but I hope that they feel like they don't have to they don't have to water them, water down themselves. You know, like, just be your authentic self. Uh, Because, yeah, that pressure is a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm not going to, like, I always say I'm not going to add anything onto it and then add something onto it. (laughs) (laughs) Embrace your weirdness, embrace yourself and who you are. I I think it's a beautiful thing. And, yeah, you you sort of don't think about that when you're younger and you put yourself through all sorts of twists and turns and stresses down you trying to be like... we try to fit in but yeah Yeah. no one fits if you're fitting in is boring to be honest exactly so So, yeah thank you very much uh for joining me thank you Uh, for having me it's
1: it's all
0: right it's all right bless um so i hope you have a good day and enjoy the rest of your evening you too take care bye-bye bye um thank you for getting to the end of this conversation guys um I hope you really enjoyed it and got some good value out of it. I enjoyed talking to Udu. Um, it was really, a really interesting conversation actually. And I think um, learning from him is uh, it's just a great resource, like just a great guy to like talk to and to find out about, because, you know, I mean, for anyone that wants to get into being an entrepreneur, you know, you've got somebody who has been through it and is going through it and is still wanting to grow and change and to evolve. And he's still got dreams and aspirations. Like just cause he's been doing it for five years doesn't mean he wants to stop or is like, right now I'm just gonna chill here. He's still hungry for more. So I think that's an amazing example um, that anyone and everyone should just, you know, absorb and take interest so um if you want to find out more about word on the curb uh, go on to their website uh, it'll be in the show notes um i'll also be putting uh, Udu's uh, instagram and linkedin and stuff um into the show notes um but also go onto my website because there's loads of resources on there um about the episode um i'll be putting in the video like i said about the knife crime in the chicken shops advert. well not advert campaign um by the home office so that should be an interesting watch it actually is a really interesting watch i sound sarcastic but it's actually a really interesting watch um but yeah guys i don't really have much else for you And um, thank you very much for listening if you want to get into contact with me um at black and raw on twitter and instagram and tiktok um and then go onto my website as well check it out um but also share this uh if share this episode, if you think someone can get really good value out of it, um, I ask you just to share their episode with them. So thank you very much, guys, and uh, we'll talk soon.